Hello and welcome to episode 313 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the English director and screenwriter Jay Blakeson. You'll know his work for his amazing debut back in 2009 of The Disappearance of Alice Creed. What an incredible directorial debut. Amazing film and such an amazing suspense thriller. It's got everything. Not only that, we talk about his 2020 film, I Care A Lot. When I was doing the podcast for Skip The End, I saw so many people rate this film and put it as their top film of the year. It's amazing and another film that you should check out. And on today's interview, we also focus on his brand new project, Culprits, where he teams up again with Gemma Arterton. And honestly, this is right now streaming on Disney+. Plus. You should go and check it out. It's an amazing series, an amazing story. And I really do believe that Jay Blakeson has absolutely given everything to this project and it shows in the output. It's unbelievable. But before we get into today's interview, what I do want to do is just quickly mention on my last episode, I was joined by Joe Barton. Again, another amazing writer, and it was so good to talk about the Lazarus Project and so much more. So thanks to everyone that took the time to listen to that interview and all the amazing feedback that I got on my social media. But today it's about Jay Blakeson, and I love this interview. Again, it's short, it's snappy, but we get a lot out of the time we're given, and I hope you all enjoy it. So here's me and Jay Blakeson talking all things film. Hi Jay, how's it going? It's going well, thanks. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for taking the time to join me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Not at all. Pleasure to be here. What I like to do with all guests that come on the show is take it right back to the very beginning. So what I'm really intrigued by is, with especially with directors and writers, when you were a kid, what was that first film that you maybe were given or your parents watched with you that made you fall in love with film? Oh, I'm not sure if there was one specific one. I I very much remember seeing Bugsy Malone um, when I was young and seeing, I think that's just because there's children in it that you suddenly realise, yeah. oh, I, I could maybe do this. But your sort of, your brain goes to, I could do this now as a child, you know. Um, and so from there, you know, I sort of, I started off wanting, I think, to sort of be in films to start with, just because I really loved them. Um and then it sort of graduated from there of like, well, no, I, I think maybe I want to make them. It's amazing. And did you kind of have a supportive family? Because when you're a kid or, you know, going to college and stuff and film school and learning these sort of skills, obviously it's quite hard to make a name for yourself. Did you have that kind of backing or was it kind of like get a real job and hope that you could fall back on this? Or was it always going to be your intention just to do this and have this kind of support from everyone around you? I was very, very lucky. I had an incredibly supportive family. Um, you know, they bought me a video camera when I was 13, and then they helped me buy a film camera when I was 19, which I made short films with at university. I studied film at university. There was, there was no proper job to be had, really, apart from writing about films or making films. They were, they were very, very supportive and had a lot of faith in the fact that I would, I would be able to go do it, as, as, did, as did my friends. You know, even when I was very doubtful that I'd get my big break, I, I was surrounded by family and friends who were, you know, very supportive and had a lot of faith that it was going to happen. I mean, when you look at most people's journeys, and I speak to a lot of directors and writers, to have your kind of first feature debut of The Disappearance of Alice Creed do so well and get such an incredible uh, reception out there by reviewers, by critics, it must have blown you away. I know everyone has a dream of, you know, having a great debut, but that is on another level, isn't it? It was unbelievable at the time. 
It, it, it was. Um, it was quite overwhelming. I mean, it was great. It was really enjoyable. Um, but even just before, you know, it sort of exploded. Um, I, I, we, no, we, I had no idea it was going to do that. I hoped it was just going to be a showreel to get me some sort of TV directing work, really, because um, we'd been working hard on it just almost in a vacuum. Um, it was shot on the Isle of Man and we edited it, you know, in a, in a small room in London. And then... You know, it got into the Toronto Film Festival, which was hugely exciting, and I went over there. But even the week before it came out, I was trying to take meetings with other people from the industry at Toronto, and I was finding it hard <laughs> to get people to meet me. Uh, but then, as soon as it, as soon as we had the uh, the screening, it just sort of went crazy, and I was having a meeting like every hour for like three days. Um, and I was sort of like an overnight success, even though I'd been sort of working in the industry for ten years. Um, but no, I felt very lucky, and I I knew I knew it would, you know, I knew I had to enjoy it because not any, not everybody has that experience. Um, and it was just so rewarding after working so hard on the film and such a great crew and great actors working so hard on the film that people were really appreciating it and really understanding what we were trying to do. Were you able to kind of evaluate and take a step back and see what was happening, or was it too much of a blur because it kind of happened so quickly? Because the film obviously came out, uh, and the next thing you know, I mean, this is 2009, it seems ages ago now, but it was everywhere. You know, everyone was talking about it. Um, I remember going online and everyone has this hype, like, you need to see this film. And I, I was thinking to myself when I was doing the research for this interview, were you even able to kind of digest just how quickly it happened that you became this name? And I think it was one that one of the magazines have put you in the one of the top 10 to watch. And, you know, I think it's Variety magazine, all those sort of things happen in such a short space of time. I don't know if I could actually be able to digest what's happening around me. Um, yeah, it is. It is kind of a ride. You do sort of see it from the outside a little bit that. You know, get, yeah, getting the varieties top ten to watch and seeing the other names on there, which are, you know were, were big names to me at the time because I knew them and I knew their films, and I was like, well, if you're watching me and watching them, I'm, I must be doing something right. Um, but I think you've always got to take it all with a pinch of salt because when you're taking all these meetings and you know going to Los Angeles and meeting studios and it's it is it's like being on a, a train that's moving really 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 fast and it's easy to sort of get caught up in it and you need to just to listen to the people around you and I, I you know I had a, the same agent I'd had for ten years and I had my family around me that were supportive before as we talked about and they were supportive then in in sort of trying to keep a cool head and just you know to enjoy it but at the same time not get caught up in the hype of it um, and you know it was it was a really really exciting time and I'll always cherish cherish that time because even at the time I knew I was incredibly sort of lucky to have this rare experience um, and I think it's I don't know it's really you know it's a really really happy memory for me um, but it, but it, in the end you know it's what you do with the rest of your career not what happens in that little sort of like tornado after your first film. So true. And if you're comparing it to like a musician, you have your debut album, then you've got the pressure of a big follow up or that second album and not that mm. debut album syndrome. But as a film director and a writer, a few years later, obviously, you came out with a I Care A Lot. And I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you now. I had a movie podcast that was very successful called Skip the End. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, I Care A Lot was our chosen um, film of the year I think it was an absolute masterpiece and again you must have just been on cloud nine with the response to this because no one ever could have predicted that it was number one on Netflix it had so many million downloads it must have been a dream come true 
It was. Again, it was amazing because we were sort of making it, again, sort of like away from any attention. At that point, no one was sort of like champing at the bit to see my next film, to be honest. So, you know, I, I loved it and I put a lot of hard work into it. Um, and obviously we were finishing it off in lockdown, in the pandemic. Uh, so, you know, the the idea that it would go from like two or three people in a room, because at that point you couldn't have many people in a room when you were finishing the film. So we're, no. in the sound mix, there was just three of us. There was like no producers there. Nobody could fly. Um, and again, we got into Toronto, which was amazing. But I, I couldn't go this time because of, you know, there was a travel ban into into Canada, they weren't inviting filmmakers into the festival. So you, you, I was just watching it remotely, basically watching the news come in remotely and reading the reviews re- remotely. And that, that was very exciting because people very quickly seemed to like it, which you never know, you know, when you make a film, if you like it with other people are going to like it. And then eventually when it came out, say, you know, Amazon over here and Netflix in, in the States, that it, you know, it sort of got everywhere really quickly. And I think, you know, there's some of that was because it was in lockdown. There wasn't, you know, people were just <laughs> stuck in their houses and wanted something new and different. And the thing about I Care A Lot is it, it is new and it's different and it it gives you something to talk about with people. And people started talking about it on the internet and started sharing memes about it and everybody had an opinion about it. And that was great. That was like watching something catch fire. It was a very different experience from, from uh, The Disappearance of Alice Creed because... Uh, you know, Disciplines of Alice Creed, I was in the middle of it and it was all happening around me and this one was happening sort of somewhere else. Um, and I was just at home watching it happen and that was sort of fascinating, you know, to see to see people take ownership of that film and really fall in love with it and really run with it was, was amazing. And at the moment, obviously, right now, we're going to be promoting Culprits, which is going on to Disney+. And I wanted to know what it was like, kind of the transition. I know you worked on Gunpowder for the HBO miniseries and the BBC of TV, but how the transaction goes from sorry the transition goes from working on big budget films to then kind of working on a, a series for TV is there a massive change for you, or do you just treat it like a, a an extremely long feature? I mean, it is a bit different because on this one, um, there's another director, there are other writers. Yeah. It's not just all my thing, but I'm overseeing all of it. Um, so there's a lot of responsibility. And everything is just bigger and longer. <laughs> you know, we have eight yeah, hours yeah. rather than two hours. The shoot was, <laughs> you know, eight months shoot rather than like six week shoot. Uh, but the problems are always the same. You don't, you know, the, it starts raining when it shouldn't be raining. You know, you uh, run out of time at the end of the day. And we had COVID thrown in. So we had people catching COVID and dropping out and coming back and having to figure all that out. So there's challenges on a day to day level are always the same. But on a story level, you just get more, you get a bit more chance to breathe. Because in a film, you're trying to, you know, a film has an accepted shape. It's sort of more or less two hours. I mean, I know, you know, some films now are extending way longer than that. But people with expectations, it's more or less two hours and it has a certain kind of shape and a certain kind of feel. And you can mess around with that. But that's that's sort of the norm. Whereas a TV show, you can do whatever you want, really, as long as it's within the, you know, you can go very slow for seven episodes and super fast for one episode, you know, and you can you can mess around with the way the story works, but I mean I, I was less interested in doing that, but more interested in just spending time with the characters. So what would normally be a side character with one or two lines becomes a real character that we care about and has an arc, and being able to work with more actors in an ensemble across a, a story that we could tell like a movie that it does end. I like telling whole stories that we could have just a bit more time to breathe with them. And how did it actually come about? Because I know that you and Stephen Garrett were working together, um, who's the executive producer on this. Um, 
I believe, was it a project you were working on previously that didn't get made and then you um, then had time to obviously then look at something else and then it came to working on culprits? Is that how it came about? Well, I'd worked with Stephen some some years ago. I, I actually met Stephen before Alice Creed and yeah. we'd, we'd worked together just after Alice Creed on something that didn't didn't ever get up on its feet for various reasons. Um, but we always enjoyed working together and admired each other's work. And then he went off and made some great TV shows. And I went off and made I Care a lot. And then, actually, no, I hadn't. I hadn't made I Care a lot. I'd made Gunpowder, sorry. Yeah. And he'd seen Gunpowder. And then we just went for, a, went for a cup of tea. And he told me that he'd bought the rights to this book, which was set after a heist um, called Culprits. And did I want to have a look at it? And he uh, sent me a couple of pages, as they do, a couple of pages sort of summing up what it's about uh, to sort of tease my interest to see if I wanted to read the whole book. And as soon as you sent me those pages, this sort of idea of setting something after the after a robbery's happened where these people all have a big bag of money and all can go wherever they want anywhere in the world and be, be who they want anywhere in the world. They can start again with whatever life they choose with this big bag of money, with, with these resources. You know, for me, that was a really interesting question. Of what would I do? What would, what would the dreams be? What would the different places be? You know, where would they go and what would they do? And those questions started like spinning around in my head really fast. And I just started talking to Stephen about those ideas. And that very quickly sort of like got us both excited about what it could be. And um, quickly after that, I wrote a pilot for him, which is the first episode. And then, uh, then I care a lot, got the green light. So I went away and I made, I care a lot. <laughs> and then after I, like, just as I was finishing, I care a lot, I came back to Steven and then we, uh, we took it out and, uh, Disney picked it up and then we were off to the races. Can you remember that moment when you got that kind of notification that Disney were giving you the full back in and you could do this full um, series because obviously so much doesn't ever get greenlit and there's so many shows that you see every week on Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney that do get cancelled um, and even after one or two successful series it must be wonderful to be right now in a world where this is coming to Disney it's all going to be told the whole story as you want to tell it it must feel really um, fortunate and lucky at the moment yeah, I mean, it's sort of like getting hit by lightning or something. You get this sort of jolt of like, <laughs> oh, oh, great. You sort of, because it always comes out of the blue. You, you, you know, you're sort of, yeah. you're waiting and waiting and waiting and you sort of forget and you sort of think, well, that's never going to happen. And then you get a phone call that says, yeah, we're going to make it. And you're like, oh, great. You get really excited, but then you get like, you know, you you suddenly think, oh, I know I've got to go do it. You know, I've got, it's going to be the next two years of my life. Um, and normally when you're making a film and you get the green light, you've the, the script is completely finished and done on this. We had... We had a pilot and we had eight hours to fill. So it was like, now we have to go and write the rest of it. So, you know, we had, there was more work to do than there normally is after you get a green light. So f for me, it was like, you know, somebody saying you have permission to climb Everest. You know, it's like, well, great, that's really exciting, but we still have to go do it now, you know. Um, but now we're at the top and we've uh, planted our flag and it's going to be out on TV and, you know, it's super exciting. But it's super exciting in the beginning and it's super exciting at the end. And it's just a lot of, lot of hard work and, and magic in the middle. And with the original short stories that you talked about, um, what was it you liked so much about them? And were you able to add a lot more of your own on top of that? Or were you trying to be respectful to the original source material? Or did you just think with Stephen, let's get a lot of us in this as well? Um, well, to be honest, the, the we we didn't do a faithful adaptation at all. We mostly took the central concept of like all these yeah. different characters, all connected by a crime in the past, all out in their lives, 
you know, the crime is different, the characters are different. But that central question come, comes from the book. And then from that, you know, the rest of it is stuff that we, we invented. Um, because as soon as I heard that central concept, I was sort of going down rabbit holes with these characters that were very clearly popping up in my head. So Stephen was uh, kind of coming down that rabbit hole with me and getting quite excited. I love it. I can imagine you just sitting there just like riffing off each other, getting these ideas and like, well, we could do this, we could do that and we could make it like this. And like two excited children getting this idea to work with these amazing characters and kind of lead them down the roads that you write. Absolutely. And then, you know, we had a writer's room. So we had, you know, three or four weeks of people on Zoom because, again, we were in lockdown all doing yeah. that all day. And that's that's great when you have all these really talented writers who all come from like have very different sort of stories than I do um pitching pitching ideas and getting excited about different things and uh you know sort of really generating this sort of uh sort of almost like nuclear reactor of ideas that all bounce off each other and get faster and faster and faster and you know you you just have to find your way through all those ideas to find find the the show and its its own identity and when you were doing this writing and in this room, what was the kind of tone that you were aiming for as a director for this actual series of culprits? Well, I mean, the the tone of my stuff is quite specific, and it's hard to yeah. it's hard to describe it. To be honest, I, I keep on trying to describe it, but you know, I like you know, I grew up watching lots and lots and lots and lots of movies. I I you know that that was my thing. I just watched everything. I still watch everything. I'm hugely excited by cinema. And then, you know, recently there's been all this amazing TV and you get really excited about all this TV. And I sort of, I absorb all those, all, all that excitement. And I want to make something that's visually cinematic and, and bold. And I really like things not to be grungy and grimy. I like color and I like symmetry and I like geometry. And, you know, I like a world that feels slightly heightened and very, very cinematic. But at the same time, I like characters that feel grounded and emotional and so I think the tone the tone is hard you know it's it's one of those sort of you sort of know it when when you <laughs> when you see it sort of thing on on the page and on the screen that it's sort of like a struggle all the way through through the scripts and through the directing and through the edit and endless conversations with the cinematographer with um Ian the costume designer Victor the production designer about how we're going to use the color how we're going to use the space and how we're going to, you know, use the humor. You know, that's another thing that, you know, visually you need to talk about how humor is going to work because there is an element of humor, but it's it's not strictly a comedy. The most, yeah. you know, the most important feeling is this sort of proportion of caring about the characters and caring what happens next to them. But at the same time, it should be entertaining whilst also having, you know, its own distinct flavor. And again, with the cast themselves. An absolutely incredible lineup, but getting to work with Gemma again after probably over ten years—that must be so good to be now going from your first feature to now on this amazing series and still having the the same cast that you started with with Gemma. Yeah, it was great to work with Gemma again. I mean, we've been looking for something to work together on ever since Alice Creed, um, and we've stayed in touch. And our careers have gone off and done done different things because that was towards the beginning of both our careers. And now we've both done quite a lot. Um, so coming back and working together and finding that we still had that sort of trust and shorthand um, and excitement that we had back then um, was amazing. You know, and Gemma's such a good actor and she's so professional that it was, it's always a joy to work with her. And, you know, she always, 
she always brings something that surprises me, um, which I love from all my actors, and they all did it on this, which is that you you come hoping that they're going to do a certain thing, and often they do that certain thing, and then they just do a little something else that absolutely sweetens it in a way that I hadn't anticipated, that just makes you excited about the material you know, after you've been working on it for two years, you're like, oh, look what they did on that. You know, even in the edit sometimes, sometimes you don't even see it on the set. You just see it in the edit. You find it and go, oh, you know, there's, there's a little piece of magic there. And then, you know, that's, you know, that's that's the great thing about working with actors. And that's, you know, the great thing about working with Gemma is that she's constantly doing that. And one thing I'll never do on a podcast is spoil anything. I'll never give any kind of main story points away because I think that's just unfair. I've, I, I go on Twitter and people ruin all the latest films and TV <laughs> for me and I, I hate it. But the heart of the story, I think, is really important. And um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make sure I don't ruin it. But <laughs> what would you say the heart of the story is coming from yourself? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um there's so many different things that people care about in this story and different, much like with I Care A Lot, different viewers are going to find different things that they care about and they want to happen. The thing that I care about is it's about a, it's about a person who wants who wants to be good when the world is trying to make him bad, I think. That's and, literally what I was about to say. I was going to say my take from it is that it's someone that wants to be a better person but doesn't, I'm trying to word it so I don't support, but doesn't mm. want to... I don't know. I think maybe he has a vision of himself now and his past self. And I'm trying to work out, does he prefer the one that he is now or does he wish that he could go back and be the person that he was? I mean, I think there's, I think there's right. There's a duality in Joe. Yeah. There's kind of one that he'd rather be in than one that he fears that he is. And maybe, you know, and then he, which that he has to sort of tap into, um, you know, in a way that he's not really comfortable with moving through the story. But by the time he gets to the end, I think he has to, part of the journey for him, and I talked to Nathan about this a lot, is part of the journey yeah. is that he has to find out who he is. It's almost like he's discovering who he really is, who he really is through this journey and what he really yeah. wants. Beautiful. Um, what I do on this podcast as well, I've got a couple of questions left, but um, I wanted to know what advice you'd give to people that are listening today that are filmmakers or are trying to get down the road of getting their work seen, because I know um, it's so difficult to stand above everyone else and get your work out there. I know social media is great with Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and showing what you've got as show reels, but I was wondering if there's any advice you could give to filmmakers that might just be able to give them that little bit of advice to just kind of be seen in a world that's so hard to kind of get seen in. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something that I realized early in my career where I, I saw other filmmakers sort of getting discovered, you know, by, yeah. by, by companies and by producers and by magazines. Um, and I kept on like thinking, well, when, when am I going to be discovered? Um, I'm here, I'm doing my thing, and people seem to like it, but nobody, nobody's really sort of picking me out and saying, you, you're, you're the one. Um, and then I realized that I sort of had to discover myself and give myself, you know, the, the best chance I could just to get my work finished and in front of people. And so, I mean, that's why I wrote Alice Creed, because it was, it was all set in one flat and it had three actors in it, and I could have made it, you know, on weekends, uh, with friends if I needed to. There was nothing in it that was prohibitively expensive. So I would say that, you know, give yourself the best chance by trying to make things that are achievable 
to a high standard on a low budget to start with. Have ambition, try and make the big stuff, but keep that in your pocket because if you make the small stuff and do it in a way that people can see that you've got this, this potential in you, that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna wanna pick your pocket of those bigger projects later. I've done this podcast for seven years and over 300 episodes and I think that's probably my favorite answer and uh, <laughs> I really hope so many people can take something away from that. I really do appreciate it. But my final question for you today, and I ask this to everybody, uh, I've had actors, directors, musicians, but what I try and do on the podcast to make it as original as I can, uh, it's a bit random actually, but you get to choose the last song that's played after today's interview. So once this is all edited and ready for the world to listen to, the final piece of music that's played out can be chosen by the actual guest on the show. So today it's your choice. And I was wondering if there's a song or maybe a piece of music or just a band that means a lot to you that you would love to be played on the end of today's episode. That's a really difficult one. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. You're I'm putting not me on the spot. Um, because if you watch my stuff, you know there's there's so much music that we put in and it's all so, di all so sort of weird and diverse. Um I think probably uh, a, a track that means a lot to me that I've returned to time and time again, especially when I was struggling, especially when, you know, you feel like you might want to give up. You know what I mean? It's like, well, okay, nobody wants me to be a filmmaker. I'll go and, you know, just do something instead so I can I can pay my rent. There's, you know, there's a song by PJ Harvey called Rid of Me, um, which is quite good at getting rid of your anger. And, you know, the chorus of you're not rid of me kind of, could be quite quite useful if you're in a space of wanting to give up um so let's go with that i think that's a perfect choice and what i really love sometimes is when i'm editing the podcast i'll then go down a rabbit hole and then suddenly start listening to loads of new music <laughs> um but i also love the reason behind the song choice and i think today's is brilliant so thank you so much for your time literally we're up by one minute so uh, i really appreciate you coming on the podcast and good luck with the release and i really do hope our paths cross again in the near future great Thanks, Mark. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the amazing Jay Blakeson. And as I said at the start of today's interview, Culprits is out now, right now on Disney+. Plus. Go and stream it, go and watch it, and then let me know on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or even drop me an email on what you thought, because I love reading people's feedback, especially if you've discovered a brand new TV series, or a film, or a book, or an album, because of the Mark and Me podcast. That means I'm doing my job properly, and it's so good to experience brand new things via this podcast. Also, I want to say if you're listening to this interview right now, why not just quickly go on markandme.com. On there, there's links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and just share this. This podcast makes no money. I do it purely because I absolutely love it and have so much passion for it. And I hope that shows on every episode. But what I do ask to keep this podcast free, I do need you guys to keep sharing it for me. So if you're listening now, hit me up on Facebook and hit that share button. Go on Twitter and hit the retweet button or on Instagram, even just like it or put it as part of your stories. It goes a massive, massive way. And I see more and more people doing it every week and I can't thank you enough for that. Also, I have a Patreon account. As I said, this podcast doesn't make money, but it does need money to host on platforms such as Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Podomatic, Spotify. So all the money that comes in via Patreon goes right back into the podcast and allows me to go out there, record for you, and then host it on all these platforms. You can sign up for as little as £1 a month and all the links are on the link via markandme.com.
And you may have seen, it's just been going over a month now, I've launched a brand new YouTube channel. Just go on YouTube and search Mark and Me Podcast. There's interviews up there with Peter Doherty. There's also interviews with Neil Blomkamp, Biffy Clyro. There's nine interviews already in just over a month and I've had thousands of views already. So thank you to everyone that's tuned in and I'll be bringing you loads of more content real soon. Before I go, I just want to give a quick shout out to the sponsors of the podcast, Richer Sounds, who, in my opinion, are the best people out there if you're in the market for a brand new TV or a hi-fi or a pair of headphones or whatever you need audio and visual-wise, go on richersounds.com and those guys will sort you out. And finally, The Folio Society, my favourite book company out there. If you're looking for some incredible, beautiful books, they are only, honestly, a click away and they're unbelievable, but very addictive. So I warn you, you'll end up spending loads of money, but it's worth it and your bookshelves will look really, really beautiful. I'll be back in only a few days time with another brand new episode. So until then, thank you so much for listening. Look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all very soon.